Amen. Thank you, Pastor Todd. <clears throat> um, as Pastor Todd said, my name is Josh, and I'm a pastoral resident here at Church on Mill, if you haven't met me. And it's such an honor to get uh, the opportunity to preach from Ecclesiastes 11.7 through 12.8 today. So if uh, your kids uh, want to go to age-specific uh, teaching, now would be the time to go out for that. Uh, so, as I said, today we'll be in Ecclesiastes 11, 7 through 12, 8, if you want to turn there. I never buy white shoes. I hate them. And I hate them because they're so beautiful when you get them. And they're shiny and magnificent and it's just all downhill from there. And so quickly they become dirty and torn up and it's, it's too painful to see them in their pristine condition knowing it won't last. So I just skip white shoes altogether. A similar thought, a new car is always exciting. It's shiny and new, has the new car smell. Uh, but new cars, as many of you know, always come with an asterisk, don't they? Because you know uh, this beautiful new machine will become a money dump someday. Uh, when the transmission fails or the check engine light comes on, this new car will become a burden on your bank account someday. Isn't it a pattern in life under the sun here that something's temporariness can spoil your enjoyment of it. The fact that something won't last can ruin our enjoyment of it. Today, that's the issue the preacher is going to pick up. We're actually looking at the final section of the preacher's teaching in Ecclesiastes. If you remember, Ecclesiastes has these bookends uh, from a different voice, the prologue and the epilogue. We'll have the, the epilogue next week, but this week is actually the final week of the preacher's teaching. And this, this is the, the issue he picks up to close. He basically is going to say that these temporary things in life, white shoes and new cars, they are little parables for life itself. The fleetingness of life under the sun can spoil our enjoyment of it. The fact that it doesn't last can make it hard to enjoy. He's looking at things like, like the car. Long before the car breaks down, finally, it will start to wear out, right? It loses the new car smell. It starts to run slower, get worse gas mileage, gets dirty and banged up. Long before your laptop or phone stop working, they start running slower, stop holding a charge. The screen gets cracked. They get dirty. They spoil before they're done, and the preacher is saying it's, it's not just that life is fleeting, but the very enjoyability of life can be fleeting. So this is the final problem that the preacher presents us with in Ecclesiastes. He's asking if everything under the sun decays like this, is it a vanity to try and enjoy life under the sun? Is enjoying life a vanity? That's the question we're wrestling with. Um, not the cheeriest topic ever, but that's what we've come to expect from Ecclesiastes. 
Let's, let's turn to it now and see how it unfolds. So we'll start looking at 11, 7 through 10. And it starts on a brighter note. This is, this is God's word from Ecclesiastes 11, 7 through 10. <clears throat> Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. If you remember uh, last week, Pastor Chuck teaching on the first half of Ecclesiastes 11, he pointed out that the book of Ecclesiastes actually doesn't have very many commands in it. It has a lot of long thoughts, but not a lot of commands, so we should pay special attention when the command words do come up. If you count in this paragraph, there are eight commands. So the, the, the rule doesn't really apply here, but we should pay attention. Why has he backloaded all these commands in the book? What's going on here? Remember, as we've walked through Ecclesiastes, we've seen the preacher leave kind of breadcrumbs like this. Talking about the vanity of life, he, he's left these breadcrumbs that say, enjoy life, seize the day. And, and this is where they all kind of culminate in 11, 7 through 10. He's backloaded them all here. This is where the breadcrumb trail leads. And, and, and so, so what's the conclusion there? Light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Light is a metaphor for life itself here. Just like darkness is a metaphor for death, light represents life. He's saying, despite, from Ecclesiastes 1 to 11, all the vanity and brokenness we've seen in life, despite all of that, life is good in itself. It's good to be alive. Life is worth living. So enjoy your life all the years you end up living. Life is worth living, so rejoice in however many years you live. Notice here, who's he speaking to? Young people, youths. Do you see that in verse 9? He says, rejoice, O young man, or, or O young one. Pause there. Who, who is young? Who has youth? Or, or, or maybe a better question, when do you stop being young? It, is it at age 12 uh, when you have your bar mitzvah? Is it at age 18 when you can legally vote? Is it age 22? Maybe when you can run for president legally at age 35, or you can order from the senior menu at age 55, or when you retire at age 65 or 70. Youth is relative. So anytime we ask, do I have youth compared to what? None of us are as young as we used to be, uh, but all of us have youth left. So uh, the point is, don't think that this passage has nothing to say to you just because you're in a certain age bracket. Uh, youth, as the preacher's talking about it here, has less to do with time 
and more to do with how much life you have left. And all of us have some life left. Nevertheless, we are a young church uh, in the classical sense of young, not the relative sense. We're a young church. Many of us are, are college students or postgrads or in our, in our 20s or teenagers. To, to us especially, pay attention. The, the preacher is singling us out. Why address youths at the end of the book, at the end of his teaching? I think two reasons. The first, because youth is crucial. What we do now always bears itself out in what we will do in the future. In your youth, it's not a hard and fast and absolute rule, but as a general rule, the habits we form in our youth, the disciplines we cultivate, the lifestyle we start living, set the tone for the rest of life. So the preacher is... is grabbing youths by the lapels at the end of the book here to say, don't put off these big questions in life until you're older. It's not going to get easier. It's not as if God is giving you your youth just to throw the time away and to screw around. It's dangerously easy to form bad patterns in youth and become stuck in your ways. Habits you form now can linger for decades. So heed the preacher's wisdom now. Youth is crucial. Youth is crucial, but, but the second reason I think he addresses youth here is youth is fleeting. That, that's closer to the main point here. Youth is fleeting. So 11, 7 through 10 is kind of saying, enjoy life while it lasts. Re- remember back a few weeks ago in Ecclesiastes 9, Pastor Chuck led us through that, and, and it said, we will all die someday. It's an uncomfortable thought, but it's true. And the preacher's picking up something here. He's saying, that's true, but it's not just life that's fleeting, but, but youth is fleeting. And in light of that, he says, remove vexation from your heart in verse 10. Time is short, so don't waste it fretting about today. And he says, remove pain from your body. You only get one body. Take care of it. Be healthy. Don't work your body into the ground. Eat well. Get plenty of sleep. The basics of wisdom under the sun. Enjoy life while it lasts. Youth is fleeting, remember? That's what the the thought that he kind of hangs on at the end here. See that in verse 10. Youth and the dawn of life, your translation might say, are a vanity. It literally says in Hebrew, youth and black hair are a vanity. Just like white shoes or your car, your vivacious black hair of youth is fleeting. Amen. This is the question, the, the issue that kind of puts the, the asterisk over all these commands in chapter 11 for a moment. How can you enjoy life? How can you rejoice in your youth? How can you rid yourself of anxiety and pain when youth itself is a vanity, when the enjoyability of life itself doesn't even last? We're gonna see that thought kind of overwhelms the preacher for verses 12, one through eight. 
Let's, let's read through that section now and see how it happens. It's important to get a picture of this as a whole. So it's, it's a longer section, but uh, let's, let's read that and see what, what happens. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. Youth and the dawn of life are a vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And the years draw near of which you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they're few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sounds of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowls is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Those are the last words we hear from the preacher in Ecclesiastes. All, all, that's all one run-on sentence, by the way. Remember, we started this passage talking about light is sweet, but, but it feels like storm clouds have kind of come in over that sweet light now. Why is... Why is that the ending he gives us, this kind of dark storm cloud? What's going on? Well, as we look at this this section, it starts with one final command that the preacher gives. Remember your creator in your youth. And then all the rest of that run-on sentence is before. Remember your creator before. Before, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, before, et cetera, et cetera. Before what, though? Not, not before you die. That, that might be something we're familiar with, a, a sort of last right idea. Like he says, get right with God before your time is up. But he actually says, remember your creator before the lead up, before decay sets in. What is decay? It, it's that process we were talking about of growing old, aging, growing weak and sick. Decay is what all of our mortal bodies are bound for. Not the cheeriest idea to end a book with. I realize, by the way, decay is an unsettling, maybe even offensive word to use in reference to us. I I use that instead of old age because I think the preacher's point is not how many years you live. It's to make us focus on our mortality and our weakness. And and I can't avoid that it's the preacher's intent to be unsettling, to get our attention. Remember, he's speaking to young people, people who've not experienced much old age, much decay yet. 
He's trying to get their attention. In 12.1, he says, remember your creator before the days of evil come. He's trying to depict what those days of evil are like for those who haven't experienced it yet. Before the days draw near, of which you say, I have no more pleasure in them. So, so he's trying to shock us, to wake us up. He's saying, don't put this off. It's not going to get easier to figure out the meaning of life, to figure out this God thing when you're older. If, if you get set in patterns of ignoring God now, it won't be easier when you're older and you become bitter and set in your ways. So, so this is a plea. Remember your creator. It's urgent because days are coming when hardship will set in. You'll be set in your ways and bitter if you wait until the end to consider the meaning of life. We'll come back to remember your creator, that final command, and consider what that means. But I do think it's important for us to look at 12, 2 through 7 and really sit in what the preacher is trying to wake us up with. 12, 2 through 7, he's unpacking what decay is like. He's trying to get us to see the problem that makes it hard to enjoy life. The problem is all, all the images he uses are a bit obscure to us, right? He mentions grasshoppers and almonds and mills, a bit out of our everyday life, but it was in the everyday life of his original readers. But, but think of them like this. All the images in 12, 2 through 7, they're answering what happens in the days when life ceases to give pleasure. What are the days of darkness like? What, what happens? So, so first, if we just walk through this, first what happens, he says, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Remember, we said light represents life and this is darkness setting in. The preacher is saying the clouds coming in and blocking out the sun, that's what life is like. The dawn of youth is going to dim into a stormy night. In, in verses three through five, he really draws attention to the fact that the pleasures we get from our bodies, our, our bodies will decay, they'll, they'll grow weak. So he says, the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. It's the picture of a man who is old and tall and broad-shouldered in youth and has grown hunched and trembling in old age. He says that's the transformation that age gives to our bodies. That's what we're headed for. In verse three, when it says the grinders are few, grinders are mill workers, people who ground up grain to make bread. At church on mill, uh, we, we don't have much experience with actual mills. I certainly don't. Um, but, but the picture here is, think of a, a busy, bustling workplace, like uh, your office or your school or, or downtown Tempe, and he's saying someday it will be abandoned, and there will be this eerie, unsettling quiet to it. Like if you were driving through downtown Tempe during the pandemic, it's strangely still. So, so what's going on with, with the strong men and the, 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 the mill workers? What, what point is he making? Some have understood these as allegories for our body parts, that, that the mill and the watchers and the windows and the grinders all represent parts of our bodies growing weak with age. Whether or not we see it that way, the, the preacher is certainly trying to make this connection. He's saying, 
Everything in life wears out and decays, and you and I are no different. It's just like the white shoes, or your phone, or your car. Yes, the mill, or your office, or your school is uh, is busy and bustling now, but it won't be forever. Yes, the car runs great now, but one day it will grind to a halt, and so will we. He's saying, young man, young woman, right now your life is vital and strong, but someday your body will betray you and grind to a halt. The question is, do you think your life will be easier or harder to enjoy in that state? When you can no longer trust in your strength, when you wake up with a start at the sound of a bird in the morning, in verse 4, so sleep is no longer restful. When you're afraid of heights, uh, afraid of danger in the road, the world no longer feels safe when you can't trust in your own strength anymore. Do you think it will be easier or harder to rejoice in the years of your life? To put a cap on it, at the end of verse 5, the preacher gives these three images from nature. Um... To say that, that our bodies decay, yes, but even as that happens, all the, all the things of life that used to give pleasure will lose their, their enjoyability. So, see, nature goes through cycles of withering and blooming. Withering and blooming, it, it revitalizes itself. It goes through spring. But, but the preacher's saying we can't expect that. We only get one set of seasons in this life. We are born in a spring, live through a summer and a fall, and then comes winter, and there's no spring for us. So, almonds blossom in a new season, but your enjoyment in food will wane. As I said, the the grasshopper image is strange, but I think what he's saying is your strength will fail, and you'll be like a, a grasshopper that can no longer jump like you used to. The verse that says desire fails in ESV, what it's literally trying to communicate, what it literally says is the caperberry fails. Caperberries were aphrodisiacs in the ancient world. They were desire stimulants. When those fail, it means your sexual vitality will decay, just like your appetite for food, just like your strength. All the things that gave pleasure and enjoyment in the years of your life will fail. So do you see the connection between these dreary images and the asterisk they put over all the commands to enjoy your life in chapter 11? how it makes it difficult. The preacher's sort of saying, how can you enjoy your life? So so the point of, of these verses is to say, long before death catches you, decay will haunt you. Decay is death's ugly younger brother. Decay is the sickness leading to death. He's saying death is not a polite solicitor who waits outside the door until you're 85, and then flips the light switch to life. No, death stalks you and haunts you in your aching back, in your sickness, in your pain. Death haunts you as the things that once brought you joy wear out and grow old. 
and, and it is death that decay leads to. That, we'll, we'll pass over it for now, but verses uh, f- five through seven are all images of, of dying. The body returns to the dust in verse seven, and you breathe out your last breath, and it re- returns to God. Vanity of vanities. Your youth is a vanity. pretty heavy ending to the preacher's teaching. Pause here and say, I, I know what I've said here, what the preacher has said, is something that's not news to many of us. Many of us have experienced these things. There are those among us who have lived many years and know the pains associated with growing old, know the aches Some of us have been aged early by the sicknesses we've gone through or the hardships that have befallen us. Or through poverty, through injuries, through mental stress, emotional hardship. I know it's not news to anybody that we're frail. We know how painful life is. But no other passage in scripture meditates on the difficulty of growing old like this one does. So so in one sense it's to wake us up, but also know in this passage, God hears you. He knows your aches, your regrets, the discomforts you feel, the pain of growing weak, not being able to do the things you once enjoyed. God hears you. And he's given us Ecclesiastes 12 in part to say, we are not without empathy. The God who loves you hears you. We are not alone. But Once again, the preacher is speaking to young people, saying you need to recognize that decay is coming, and it's it's going to make life hard. It's not pleasant to think about, but it is the grim asterisk on every command to enjoy your life. So while it's not the final word, it is something we have to reckon with. The solution is not to ignore it or to treat it as a taboo topic that's uh, rude to bring up. The, the solution is not to pretend it's not there. But it doesn't have to ruin life. He still means those commands, rejoice in the days of your youth. The preacher means those things. But he's just drawing attention to this problem to say it, it will be difficult when you grow old. So, so what is his solution? If not to ignore it or to put it off, what is his solution? That brings us back to the command that all of these dark images are hung on. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. His whole speech on the pain of decay was to wake us up to see the urgency of remembering your creator. That's why it was his plea to those of us who have any measure of youth left which is all of us. Remember, so so in chapter 11, the preacher said, enjoy life while it lasts. We saw that. 
Now in 12, one through seven, he said, decay will haunt us all the days we live. Decay will make it hard. So the command, remember your creator, is the hinge between them, the key to resolving them. Everything under the sun decays to death. So remember your creator in order to enjoy life. Remember your creator in order to rejoice in the light. How does remembering our creator help us enjoy life? It helps because God is where life comes from. In fact, God is life. If we want to taste the sweetness of light, we must know God. Think about it. We, we take it for granted in, in this world that life is a temporary thing, that everything grows old and dies. Because when we look at nature around us, that's what we see everywhere. Everywhere under the sun, animals decay, plants wither, even uh, rocks and earth erode. The sun, we're told, will burn out one day. That seems like just a principle of nature. But scripture teaches us that life under the sun isn't the ultimate reality. And it it teaches further that death and decay, as pervasive and unavoidable as they are, they're not natural. They are intruders in this world. Remember that death is not the last word. Death is the product of sin in this world. Remember in Romans it says, the wages of sin is death. Have you ever asked why death is the wage of sin? Why does sinning lead to death? I think part of it is because to sin is to be contrary to God, to rebel against him, to reject him, to move away from him, and God is life. God himself is the source of life. Jesus taught that in John 5, 26, speaking of God the Father. He said he has life in himself. He's uncreated. He is not deriving his life from somewhere else. He is life in himself. So when the preacher says, remember your creator, he's not just talking about the one who gave you life, as a matter of fact, but the one who gives anything alive its life. The one who breathes breath into the world. Light is sweet, remember? Life stands for light. Or light stands for life, rather. When, when the preacher says life is good, he might mean nothing more than what he said in chapter 9, being alive is better than being dead. But on this side of the cross, we know more about life than that. We know more about light than that. Remember what John 1, 4 through 5 says about Jesus. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. No storm cloud overshadows that light. And again, in 1 John 1, 5, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Our need to see light, our desire to see the sun and benefit from it, is our need to know God. Like John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that you know God. God is life. 
Further, even in our everyday lives here, the things Ecclesiastes has been talking about, the things we enjoy in life, the sweet things of life, Scripture tells us are all reflections of God's own goodness. All those things we talked about in in Ecclesiastes that, that don't last, they are meant to point us to God. They are God's own goodness. Now, sin brings death and decay, but God shares his life with his people. And once again, on this side of the cross, we know that God shares his life through Christ. So this is where this topic of decay gets picked up in the New Testament. In in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about death and decay, just like Ecclesiastes 12. In, In 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 46, Paul talks about our bodies, just like Ecclesiastes 12. And he he calls our bodies, quote, perishable, weak, natural, and it says we are the man of dust. That's pretty in line with what the preacher just told us. We are perishable, weak, and bound to end up as just dust. But that's not the last word. That's as we are now. That's life in, uh, under the sun, in a fallen, sin-filled world. But, but he, Paul points us to say, death and decay are the sting of sin. They're the curse of sin on us. So when Jesus paid the debt for sins on the cross, he also takes away the sting of sin, which is death and decay. He takes away death and decay. So in Jesus' resurrection, when he raises to life, those who have faith in him receive forgiveness from him, yes, but further, life. That life includes a physical life, a new body, one that doesn't grow bent and trembling, one whose pleasures don't fail. God is the source of life, and in Christ we receive his own life. Not perishably, not temporarily, but eternally. Part of the gospel message is that death and decay no longer have a hold on us. So to return to Ecclesiastes, that question, how can you enjoy life when everything is subject to decay, when pleasures spoil? Well, part of the answer is purely under the sun, you can't, at least not lastingly, not for long, not satisfyingly. You can't actually truly love life without loving God above the sun. That might sound strange to you. You might say, well, I love my life just fine uh, without God. But, but the, the point that we're being drawn to here, to say God is life means that if you love your life, the things in life you love are the goodnesses, the gifts that God has given you. And, and further, if you forsake God, that's forsaking the source of life. That, that's blacking out your own sun. That's cutting off your own water supply. So remember who the source of life is. If you want to enjoy the days of your life, remember who gave them to you. That's where they get their meaning. This is why it's crucial for us youths, us young people, not to put this off until later. 
as if God can wait. That's why the preacher makes this message so urgent. He's saying, don't decide to sleep around or have fun now and maybe come back to God later. Don't put God on the back burner of life and decide to build your career or your degree or your family or your home now and maybe consider God down the road because the key to enjoying all of those things is them finding their meaning in God, them being redeemed in Christ. Don't put it off. Remember, every habit you invest in today is taking you somewhere. It's forming your heart into who you're going to be. Are you forming your heart into one that can endure the days of darkness? The decay that's coming. It won't be easier when you're older, so don't invest your heart in the fleeting joys and pleasures of life as if those will finally be satisfying. Don't invest in your fleeting youth that will decay and turn sour and betray you. So maybe you're here today and you'd not call yourself a follower of Christ or a believer in God. We're so thankful you're here. To you, the preacher is saying, remember that you have a creator. That the key to your life not being vain is to remember that you have a creator. Apart from him, nothing you're seeking in this life will last. It may for a short time, it may for a couple decades, but it will not last forever. You can't preserve your youth or beauty or vigor. You can't work forever. You can't live on through your relatives or your legacy. You can't outrun old age. You can't outrun decay. And you can't ignore it either. The truth of the matter is, as Ecclesiastes 11:9 says, remember that for all the things you do in your life, God will bring you into judgment. None of us can count on death apart from God being a sweet release. We will be brought into judgment for the way we live our lives. So instead, remember your creator, the giver of life, the giver of life now and the giver of life forever. In Christ, he offers life that does not wither or break, that isn't vain. Place your confidence in Christ who takes away sin, who bears the weight of judgment and gives new life. For those of us who have put their trust in Christ, what does it look like to remember your creator? For, for many of us who are Christians, we, we know Christ has defeated death and there's a resurrection life coming, but it has not come yet. What does that mean for us now? Well, as we said, enjoy life by enjoying God. God is light. He is sweet. It's good for your eyes to see him. The gospel gives us a new context to read this passage in. The gospel erases that asterisk hanging over the commands to enjoy life. It, it doesn't mean that we won't grow old. 
And it doesn't mean that we won't get sick or grow weak or suffer. And it doesn't mean that those things will be fun either. But it does mean that none of them will be vain. None of them will be meaningless. It does mean that now like the rest of creation, Christ has given you a spring after winter. Winter does not have the last word. Decay does not sting like it used to. So do you see how that frees us to take seriously the commands of, of 11, 7 through 10? How it frees us to enjoy life. There's not this weight anymore of I need to enjoy life while it lasts, the timer's ticking. You have a freedom to trust God with the years he's given you. So, if you live many years, rejoice in them all. If, if you're young, again, in, in the classical sense, enjoy the gifts of youth. Enjoy the energy you have. Enjoy the opportunity. Enjoy your health. And embrace growing up. There's a blessedness to growing up, to maturing. Remember God now and invest in maturity, in wisdom. That investment turns back joy and peace and stability. God blesses wisdom. If you're less young, we can say, don't be ashamed of your age. The notion that growing old is a bad thing or... Um, something you should try to cover up, that, that's an idea from our culture, not from Scripture. Scripture teaches God has blessed you with the years he's given you with. God has crowned you with gray hairs. There's a beauty and a glory to them. So, because Christ has defeated death, we are free to rejoice in adulthood, to rejoice in middle age, to rejoice in old age. Whatever God has given you, rejoice in the gifts of that season of life. Rejoice in the opportunities of it, in children, in grandchildren, in stability. Whether those are biological children or spiritual children in the church, rejoice in the maturity God's given you. It's a blessing to you and to others. Chapter 11 also says, remember that the days of darkness will be many. This is a sobering text for us. Don't put your confidence in your youth, in your strength. It's fleeting. Enjoy it while it lasts, but don't cling to it as if all your peace and wellness depend on youth. Don't try to prolong adolescence, embrace growing up, don't try to prevent aging or weakness or old age. We as Christians need not be people who need to try and relive the glory days or relive childhood. God's not called us to turn back time. He's given us today to be faithful in, today to rejoice in. We're not slaves to nostalgia. Rejoice in today. Remove anxiety from your heart and take care of your body, like 11.10 says. With God's goodness in, mo in mind, enjoy the gifts he's given you without feeling any guilt about it. 
whether they're the temporary pleasures of, of youth or the lasting pleasures of maturity. One last thing. We went through some heavy images in 12, 1 through 7 about growing old. Because death and decay don't have the last word, Christian, you need not live in fear of death or dying or growing old. It doesn't have the last word. It will be uncomfortable, probably. I'm 23, I don't really know. It will be painful. But it's not the end. It's only for a time. Remember your creator, the source of sweet and full life. Not vain life, but full life. There is an enduring life after this one. Remember when Thomas saw Jesus after the resurrection, he asked to feel the scars in his hands. The scars of this life may come with us into eternity, but they don't spoil it. They don't ruin it. They don't have the last word. So everything under the sun decays to death. In light of that, remember God above, the giver of life. Everything under the sun decays to death, so remember God above, the giver of life. In Christ, friends, our best days are ahead of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love and care you show to us by giving a voice to the fear of dying we feel, the fear of growing old, the fear of feeling pain. We know you are a good father and you are not apathetic to our fears or our pains. I pray that as a church we would feel close to you as you give voice to these fears. But Lord, we thank you more deeply that none of those fears have a final word. They are going to pass away. In Christ, you give life. I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would embrace the life that you give, that we would remember you as the source of life. Remember that every good desire we have ultimately finds its satisfaction in you, in seeing you. God, you are sweet, and it's good for our eyes to look on you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.